Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Woo. Helen, how are you? I'm very well, J. Keith. How are you? I'm very well. I'm, I'm trying to stay very present because as soon as this show is done, I'm headed to the airport to go to Australia. Australia? Yes. You, J. Keith is like the biggest world traveler. I'm running from myself. <laughs> and honest. Yeah. Where in Australia? I'm headed to Sydney tonight, and then I will be going to Adelaide, and then I'll be hitting Brisbane overnight on the way back. And the main reason I'm going is because my favorite creature in the world, aside from my cat, Cookie, is a, an animal called the leafy sea dragon. What? Are you familiar with this? I yeah, give it up for the LSD. A leaf, wait, a leafy sea dragon. It is called a leafy dragon. sea dragon. Okay. And the, the best way I can describe it is if a seahorse mated with kelp this would be the offspring. As an Asian person, we would eat it. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Well, fortunately, it is plentiful, but only in South Australia. And I've Wait, been... so how do you even know about this thing? Well, because I've seen it in aquaria before, including the, uh, the Pacific Aquarium down in Long Beach. They have a couple of them. And you just were so taken I with it? I was completely taken by and it. And you were like, I need to go find the natural habitat of this thing. Yes, I, I've known about it for a few years that they were in South Australia. And uh, as you probably know, I, I am a scuba diver. And also, it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend coming up, Thanksgiving week as we tape this. And my family is not, you know, so... Um, Great, yeah, dysfunction junction. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I got, a, um, I got a week off and I... I had the airline miles, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go I'm gonna go see me some leafy sea dragons. So is this a thing that you can, like, as you're scuba diving, you can, like, touch it? Or? I mean, you're not supposed to touch but it. You but you know you're going to. I might. Mm. I might touch it a little bit. They're so cute. Wow. And, yeah. and are they just everywhere? There's, like, big schools of there's them? There's big or? schools of them. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm told that there's this one island that is near uh, Adelaide where you can go. And, and uh, they didn't. They said they can't guarantee that I will see them, but they would be very surprised if I don't. And I said, I will cry if I don't. And they said, okay. Wow. I wish there was a way, because uh, my favorite creature uh, is uh, the band The Cure. And I wish <laughs> there was a way that I could scuba dive and touch them. And, and see just them in their be, natural habitat. You know, just be surrounded by The Cure and just be like, oh, yes, The Cure. Yeah. Well, you do have to get certified, Helen. That yeah. is the first step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so, I, I, do, I hope that dream comes true for thank you. Thank you. And for The Cure. Uh, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is an award-winning journalist, science communicator, producer, and podcaster who hosts the podcast Talk Nerdy with Cara Santamaria. It's Cara Santamaria! Cara Santamaria! Hi, Cara! Hello. Welcome, Kara. I love thank your you. name, by the way. Oh, thank you. Do you say it with a, with a trill when you say it? Well, here's the joke, because my yeah. father is Italian, but I grew up in Texas. So mm. the Italian version of my name is Cara Santa Maria, which mm. literally translates to Dear Mother of God. Ooh. Um, no pressure. But yeah, when I'm in trouble at home, it turns into Cara Louise. <laughs> oh, very Southern. You yeah. get in here yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I love that you're a science communicator. Yeah, what does it mean exactly? Yeah, so I used to work as a scientist. I was a neuroscientist, and um, when I left academia, I decided that I wanted to work to improve science literacy in the greater public. So that's what I do now. I work on podcasts and television shows. My newest show, um, where I'm a correspondent on Explore by National Geographic. Nice. It just started again last week, and it's a ton of fun. But since then, I've decided to go back to school. I've been out of it for 10 years, so now I'm working on my PhD in clinical psychology as well. Wow. I I love, I mean, I have a giant lady boner yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, because of everything you said, because I love like hot babes in STEM. Yeah. Right? Don't we all love hot we babes do. in STEM? Who doesn't? But apparently I'm not allowed to say it, so I'm glad that you did. <laughs> Uh, what is your favorite thing to communicate scientifically? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, my background is neuroscience and psychology, so I do think that kind of the biological basis of behavior is the most interesting. But lately, it's been really fun to talk about physics and cosmology simply because I know very little about it. When I interview experts, I get to learn a lot along the way. That's really cool. And now you were involved in a camp for other science communicators. I am. I co-founded and co-run a camp with my two partners, Jason Goldman and Sarah Curtis, and it's called Psych camp, because that's what we call science communication for short. And we do it uh, every year. We just finished our fourth year, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to build community with other science communicators, because many of them are freelancers, and they work from home, and they never really get to be around other science communicators. So mm. it's a great opportunity to get together. Now, additionally, you were on the panel of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> people enjoy that show. Uh, what does it mean to you to be a skeptic? Oh, gosh, there's so much. Ah, I have to do this quickly because okay. I don't want to take up the whole show. What doesn't it mean? Maybe <laughs> right. that'll be easier. So skepticism is a worldview. It's a scientific worldview, and it's an evidence-based worldview. So it's not about being cynical. It's not about poo-pooing everything, but it's really about trying to make decisions based on evidence and not just based on our gut or what Colbert famously called truthiness. Mm. We're trying not to be so truthy all the time and mm. actually seek the truth. That's right. what we're doing on this show, maybe. Yeah, seeking the truth. Yeah, but also, you know, just dicking around, too. That's yeah, that's, part of it. that's fun, too. And I have to say, just for anybody who doesn't already know, we wrote a book, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Mm -hmm. It's out right now. I also was the um, spokesperson and wrote the foreword and the quiz master for the National Geographic's Almanac 2019, which is also out now. Oh, wow. so you're well-versed in trivia as well. <laughs> uh, you certainly are inspiring with all that you do. We're happy to have you, Ms. Kara Santamaria. Thank you. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Kara be competing tonight? He is an arts reviewer, author, and panelist on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. It's Glenn Weldon. Glenn Weldon. Hi. Hi, Glenn. Welcome, Glenn. Hey, guys. Now, speaking of science, your bio has an interesting credit on there. It says that you were a seriously terrible marine biologist. Yes, I have a degree in marine biology <gasps> um, from a school in uh, Southampton, New York, which is no longer there because they let me graduate. Oh, no! <laughs> Uh, is, there, is there a marina in Southampton, New York? There's plenty of seawater, yeah. Oh, okay, good to know. Uh, it turns out that uh, I was promised that there was no math in biology. Oh, oh no. wow. I was lied to. Yeah, never believe that. Uh, chemical There's... oceanography, physical oceanography, calculus one, calculus two, quantitative analysis one, quantitative analysis two. Yeah, you Calculus lost me. one, calculus two. It was awful. Mm -mm, you have to be the most overqualified NPR personality <laughs> in the entire firmament. It's kind of our thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, the pop culture happy 
hour. Is that the best gig in radio and podcasting? It seems so fun. It's pretty sweet, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, we started it with uh, just a, a bunch of people, uh, just a bunch of friends talking about uh, pop culture. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just a gig. And, and back in the day, uh, I wasn't working at NPR. I had a, another gig. And so we would tape it like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And there was really no planning. It's one of the first things that NPR ever did that didn't have meetings, planning meetings to kind of establish it. It just kind of grew organically. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown a lot now. And now there's, there's uh, spreadsheets and there's all kinds of planning. And it's still, we're still having a lot of fun. Wow. <laughs> oh, I wonder if we're going to get a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terribly unfun. Google Docs is your friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, you've written a couple books about some pop culture yourself. One of them was Superman, the unauthorized biography. And the other is The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture. Uh, why these two figures? Because uh, I grew up loving them. And uh, the first one, the first book was basically a book for hire. It was the 75th anniversary and an editor reached out to me and said, could you just write this book? It felt like work for hire for me because Mm -hmm. it was basically, I was telling a very chronological story. This happened, then this happened, and this happened. And whenever you do that, you think to yourself, okay, am I writing a 75,000 word Wikipedia entry? Mm -hmm. And so I did everything I could to kind of get some analysis, some pullback, some Mm -hmm. juice into the thing. But with the second book, which is about the intersection of this character of Batman and nerd culture in America, I had a lot more time to do analysis because it's basically, you're trying to find the through line and that means writing about all kinds of stuff that happened and then deciding also what not to write about because it's mm. not important because it doesn't fit your thesis. You know all about this. This is, this is, this is part of the deal and it's the, it's the most challenging thing, but it's also the most fun because Batman is the ultimate nerd. And, How do you uh, figure? He likes gadgets. Oh. Uh, he likes to be by himself. He holds up in the basement. He holds up in a basement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, something happened in the 1970s when we were trying, to, the, the writers of Batman were trying to distance from the Batman 66 television show, mm-hmm. which was campy and fun and a, a cultural phenomenon. It's my favorite Batman to this day. And they decided they needed to distance themselves from that, so they created a Batman who was obsessed. Mm. And the thesis of the book is that obsession is something that a whole new kind of reader recognized, resonated with, and that's why, uh, you know, originally the name of the book was going to be The Triumph of Nerd Culture, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I campaigned for the rise of nerd culture. <laughs> yeah. One day we will triumph. Wait, are you, are you mad that Batman has become so popular now that it's like, it's not really a niche nerd thing anymore? It's I, wildly popular. The book is about that specific subset of, of, the, of the nerd population, the Batman fan population, who are really upset yeah. that it is popular. Because once The Dark Knight came out, come on, it was like... Now the bros are into it. Ugh. Well, that's it. I mean, nerd bros are the original bros you know, in, a very, in a very real way. They resented the fact that uh, it didn't get nominated for an Academy Award, mm-hmm. and they p- pitched a campaign. I mean, they... You know, it's a dude in a bat suit, you guys. Am I? No, 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 all right, I've lost the entire audience. <laughs> well, we're certainly happy that you joined us today. Mr. Glenn Weldon, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Glenn and Kara, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Kara, you said you know a lot about Hold'em Poker, the artist Christopher Marley, and the Olive Garden menu. Nice. (laughs) Very diverse. Glenn, you said you know a lot about wine tasting, Uh RuPaul's Drag Race, and Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Double yes. (laughs) 
obviously two people of science. <laughs> Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of these topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Now, if either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person does have a chance to take away those points. Your topics today, top and bottom. First up, Kara with top. Your question comes from a listener, Andy Boyer of Chicago, Illinois. Kara, they both can be seen on a kicky top, but what is the difference between a shirt that is button-up versus button-down? Button-up versus button-down shirts. I have no idea. All right, to... Glenn? No, no, no. We, uh, <laughs> we're going to get to figure oh, it out. Oh, um, okay. Use you can, your powers of deduction. You can button-up a shirt or button-down a shirt that has buttons all the way. So maybe a button-down shirt has buttons all the way to the bottom, and a button-up is like a Henley? Like it only has a few mm. buttons? No idea. No idea, but that's what you're going to go with? That's what I'm going to go with. All right, uh, Glenn, we have got Kara's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. What do you think? Uh, I suspect that a button-up shirt is just a shirt like a dress shirt with buttons, and a button-down shirt specifically has uh, buttons on the collar. Mm. Kara now uh, smirking with regret, perhaps? This is a sexist question. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen women wear shirts with buttons on them. I don't think our shirts have those buttons, though. Well, well, maybe You tell it, sister. (laughs) By the way, how many buttons are on your shirt currently, Kara? Zero buttons. Zero buttons for the listener. Uh, All right, it's time to button up this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. A button-up shirt is simply any shirt that buttons up the front. A button-down shirt refers only to the collar of a shirt, as opposed to a spread collar, a wingtip collar, or a band collar. A button-down collar can be fastened to the shirt with buttons. And any shirt that has a button-down collar can be called a button-down shirt. That's right. So a button-down is a button-up, but a button-up isn't necessarily a button-down. And a button-down is usually on a button-up, so you're likely to have a button-down, button-up shirt. Life! <laughs> what does that mean as far as our points go, Ellen? Glenn got two. All right. <laughs> Up next in top and bottom, Glenn with bottom. Glenn, they both refer to something not on the level, but what is the difference between below and under? Below huh. and under. Um, let's see. I, I'm going to say that below is quantifiable. Whoa. Below X, below a certain number, mm-hmm. and the other one under is... That's also quantifiable, but that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> All right, he thinks it's wrong, but he's going to go with it. Yay. We appreciate that. We've got uh, Glenn's answer. Kara, what do you think? I guess my guess would be that under requires a subject and an object. Like, something can be under something else. Mm-hmm. So it, it's um, dependent on a, um, another noun in the sentence okay. to be able to define where it is, whereas below does not. All right. Well, this segment has become beneath us. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. While they are often interchangeable, there are differences. Under usually refers to something that is covered by something else and in direct contact touching it. Below usually refers to something that is vertically lower than something else, but not usually touching it. For example, if you're scuba diving... Oh, you... I will be. <laughs> <laughs> For example, if you're scuba diving, like Jake Heath will be, you would be underwater because the water is covering you and in direct contact with you, and you'd be below the surface since the surface of the water is vertically above you, sometimes by several feet. That's right. Another way to think about it is if you're wearing a belt 
you would rather have an injury under your belt than below your belt. <laughs> what does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? I'm going to give Kara one point because you did say an object is relative to another object. So, yeah, I'm going to give Kara one point. Kara one point. Very Have good. it. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Kara Santamaria has one point and Glenn Weldon has two points. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, it's Janet Varney of the JV Club podcast, and I am so excited to be joining Maximum Fun. If you're not yet familiar with the JV Club, it's a podcast with me and some of my favorite women, and in the summer, men, as we explore the highs and lows of our terrible teenage years into what I like to call our adult lessons. For example, hear Emily Heller describe her time on the national circuit for the debate team, or how Travis McElroy took over his drama class and gave his fellow students notes. Yeah, that went over great. Or let Busy Phillips tell you how she met Sharon Stone at an Arizona toy fair. You can join me and all my once awkward, sometimes still awkward friends every Thursday by subscribing to the JV Club on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Kara Santamaria with one point and Glenn Weldon with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hong. Thanks, everybody. Glenn is also applauding. We appreciate that. Yeah, I think absolutely. you were the first contestant to actually applaud really? when we come back from a break. Aww. Let's give him an extra point, can we, Helen? <laughs> uh, sure, in our minds. Oh, wow. In our I minds. didn't think that would sure. work either. Kara Santamaria, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Holden Poker the artist Christopher Marley, and the Olive Garden menu. Let's talk a little bit about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Hold'em Poker. I play a lot of Hold'em Poker. I enjoy it quite a bit. I don't watch it that often on television, so I don't know a lot of the main players. I don't know a lot about like what's going in the going on in the culture of Hold'em, but because I play it a lot, I know a bit about strategy. I know a bit about rules. outs and yeah, rules and things like that. Yeah. How do you usually do when you play Hold'em Poker? So I am a tournament player, definitely. I, I enjoy tournaments much more than I enjoy, enjoy cash games. I think there's an extra level of strategy that's required Ooh. in a tournament. I play in a lot of home games, so I'm usually in the money in a home game. It depends on you know the casino that I'm at and, and the competition when it comes to a larger tournament, and for sure. And do you sure. Win, win money? I mean, I've never been like a competitive player in the casino world. I just have a lot more fun playing at home. But there was a year of my life where I actually supported myself playing poker. Oh, girl. And Kara, you started by saying, I don't really know that much I about don't. poker. But I don't know. She literally makes money at You're a guys. shark. But here's the thing. Playing the game is very different than being super dialed into like the nerd culture of the game. Right. So keep that in mind. All right. Guys. We will keep that in mind. <laughs> right. You also said you know a lot about an artist named Christopher Marley. Tell us about that. So I'm obsessed with this artist named Christopher Marley. I have a lot of his pieces in my home. They, You can buy them on his website now. You used to not be able to. There was a dealer here in Los Angeles, um, a place called Goldbug in downtown Pasadena. If you've never been there, I, I, or an old town, I should say, Pasadena. If you've never been there, I recommend it. And what Christopher Marley does, he's really famous for his insect work, um, but he also does work with reclaimed species. So things that die natural deaths, museum deaths, things like that, birds, snakes, 
snakes, different lizards. Wait, is he a taxidermist? So yes, he is like the most artistic taxidermist <gasps> you've ever seen. He's quite famous for these mosaics of insects that look like, I don't know, they look like glassware. Like They're he incredible. Paints the insects? No, like he he painstakingly picks the ones that are the exact right size and puts them in these amazing mandala displays and they He's look like stunning. the Lady Gaga of taxidermy. Absolutely. They actually they actually use his images in campaigns for Gucci and campaigns for um, all sorts of different high-end designers. So he takes dead things and makes them fun and makes them gorgeous. Wow. And I have a lot of his pieces pieces at home. Well, this will be yeah. an interesting segue. You also know about the Olive Garden menu. <laughs> I believe they also take dead things and make them more appealing. Going into this, I knew I would have to push back against a bunch of Olive Garden jokes. Um, people hate Olive Garden, and I don't understand why. I don't. I love it. I love it so I love much. It. Unlimited so breadsticks? Good. Hello. Come on. So, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Plano, Texas, which is the town outside of Dallas. And when you grow up in the suburbs, the Olive Garden is it. Like, <laughs> it is authentic Italian food. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you're there, you're family. And <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it, it's where you go for every birthday. It's where you go for every special occasion and it always tastes the same no matter where you are in the world eating Olive Garden so there's a real nostalgia to that restaurant that I just can't let go of. This explains so much because I um, grew up and lived in New York City for years and there's a giant Olive Garden in the middle of Times Square that always had like a two hour wait mm -hmm. and we're in New York City <laughs> mm -hmm. you can find actual Italian mm -hmm. food there yeah. and I would just always walk by it shaking my head but if you it, didn't but understand also, everything there costs like five dollars more. Oh, at the one in Times yeah. Square. It's oh. super annoying. It yeah, yeah, they like jack up the prices. Yeah, but it's it's like people from Plano, Texas, who are like, yeah, this is legit Italian food. Yeah, they're like, totes. I don't want to try something new right now. <laughs> yeah. What are your favorite items on the Olive Garden menu? I have all these hacks, you guys, because the Olive. <laughs> What? You know the secret you can, menu? You order off the menu at Olive Garden? Are you serious? Well, Tell the chef it's me. Here's the thing. If you don't like eating at the Olive Garden, but you want to eat Olive Garden food, it is definitely on Postmates, which is the greatest thing ever. If you don't know what Postmates is, in some big cities they have it. It's like Deliveroo in, yeah. in, yeah, in Australia. Um, so I, you can order like off the kids' menu, and you get just the right amount of food. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this. So not only can you get Olive Garden, but you don't have to go there. You can have it delivered to your face. Yeah, you don't have to actually sit in the restaurant, wow. which is the worst part. What an part. amazing time we yeah, live in. Yeah, of the Olive Garden wow. and, All right, so to sum up, you said you know a lot about Holden Poker, the artist Christopher Marley, and the Olive Garden menu. Today we want to quiz you about the artist Christopher Marley. No way! Oh no! That's right. Now, first, for I'm everyone... not gonna lie, I was rooting for the Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, this was the one that I couldn't do any research on because, like, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Ooh. Oh, interesting. I know. Oh, uh, no. Now, before we continue, everyone listening, and actually everyone here in our audience, I want you to go to his website now, ChristopherMarley.com. Check out these pieces that we're talking about. You did a very good job explaining them, but when you, when I, I have not seen them in person, but mm -hmm. just seeing them on the site and to realize that they're not altered in any way. That, that, they're not, they're not painted on. They're no. not, you're not, he's not constructing with these animals uh, to make other things. These are sort of representations of these animals. It's really amazing. Yeah. 
ChristopherMarley.com. Uh, how did you discover his work? Um, I discovered it at Goldbug when I was shopping there. It's a really great place. It's kind of like Evolution in New York or Necromance downtown, but it has a more kind of high-end vibe. And so I've always really been into oddities. I have some taxidermy in my home. Um, one of the first dates I went on with my boyfriend is that we did a taxidermy class together. <laughs> yeah, at, um, there's a great woman here in Los Angeles named Alice Markham who teaches taxidermy classes at her studio, and she does incredible taxidermy. This was your first date? It was one of our earliest One of our earliest dates. Dates. Like, we, We'd known each other a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we've had beers, but um, <laughs> yeah. we now That's not something you usually want to spring on no, someone no, no. Uh, without discussing first. But the thing about Christopher Marley is that he takes two of my most kind of aesthetic interests, which are like dead things and stunning, austere, clean angles, minimalist, beautiful, modern art. And those things come together in just this really beautiful way. Plus, it's fine, fine art, but it's like semi-affordable. It's, you know, more affordable than, a, you know, an expensive painting, for example. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Christopher Marley to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Glenn, listen closely, because if Kara answers incorrectly, you know the correct answer, you can steal. Glenn, by the way, how much do you know about the artist Christopher Marley? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Did you read his Wikipedia page? I have not. No, because there isn't one. Uh, all right, uh, Kara, here's your first question about Christopher Marley. Marley has published two books. The first one's title shares a name with his studio and refers to the sense that animals release to attract a mate. What pheromone. Wow. I have it? that book. That is correct. That is correct. It is pheromone. <laughs> Couldn't even finish the question. Confident. Uh, fun... Confident out the gate. I have that book. So All right. This fun, one I know. Fun fact, that is also the signature scent of Marilyn Miglin of Chicago. Oh. All right. Pheromone. No. Fun fact also, it's not really known whether humans have pheromones. Interesting. What? Don't we yeah. have musks? Do we have natural musks? We have, like, poo smell. We have poo smell. That's musk. I love. <laughs> Question number two. Marley's second book became a New York Times bestseller with a title that means love of living things. Name it. Crap. It's not yeah, that. Helen, that's not, that that's not my answer. No, that's no, not, not my the answer. answer. Poo smell. I know that he does a series called Reclamation, but that does not mean love of living things. So it's something philia. Mm -hmm. It would be... Oh, I don't have this book, so I don't know what it's called. Living Things. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Oh, that's true, because I already got one right. What, mm -hmm. What's the hint? Helen, how about that hint? It also sounds like someone who really likes high school science class. Biophilia. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Biophilia. Wow. <laughs> Excellent use of the hint, Kara. <laughs> Yay. You are two for two. Here is question number three. Marley's medium is animals. Which of the following has not been featured in his work? Chameleons, octopuses, snakes, jellyfish, or toucans? Ooh, it's either jellyfish or toucans. I have an octopus piece and, <laughs> and three snake pieces of his. And I've seen, I really want this one chameleon piece. I've, I've been eyeing it on the website. So the question is, uh, is jellyfish or toucans? He does so many birds. He has beautiful bird pieces. I don't know how you would do a jellyfish. I think it would fall apart. So I'm going to say that he never did a jellyfish. Very well reasoned. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. He has not done wow. a jellyfish. <laughs> Mind-blowing. You, you deduced that answer that like a excellent scientist. excellent deduction, yeah. That, I, think, I think I just saw STEM. That was some STEM <laughs> I saw. 
That was some boss-ass stuff. Yeah, nice. All right, here's question number four. Marley uses many animals that have died in captivity from natural causes and would otherwise be thrown away. What is the term he uses for acquiring such creatures, mostly from zoos and aquariums? Reclamation. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. We did not fool you on that one. (laughs) You are four for four. Here's question number five. In addition to traditional galleries and museums, Marley has had solo exhibitions at some department stores. Name two department stores that have hosted a Christopher Marley solo show. Two of them? Oh, no. Okay, so department stores, not designer boutiques. You uh, say department stores. These are department stores. Okay. Some, they may have a boutique within them. You sure. do have another hint available if you'd like. Yeah, I would love another hint because I have to come up with two of them, and my answer right now is I have no idea. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? One of them has the name of a street in its name. Okay, so that's Saks Fifth Avenue. Is that the end of the hint? We we, we will tell you that is the end of the hint. So it's probably either Barney's or Neiman's. It could be Nordstrom, but I have a feeling it's higher end. So it's going to be Barney's or Neiman's. Saks is next door to, oh gosh, Barney's is a little edgier than Neiman, so I think I'm going to go with Barney's. You say Saks Fifth Avenue and Barney's. Yes. Helen? That is correct. Five for five. (laughs) Wow. Cara Santa Maria, five for five. And, and deducing the crap out of these No way. The scientific mind, it's amazing. (laughs) Uh, All right, Kara, here now is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. This question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. Kara, Christopher Marley sells his work around the world and makes his work around the world, too. For up to three points, what are the three places in the world where Marley has a studio? He has three studios? That is the premise of the question. I I know one of them is in Oregon, Mm -hmm. and I know it's a friend of mine lives in Eugene, and I really want to plan a trip to visit Eugene to visit his studio, but I know it's not in Eugene. It's just a like an hour drive from Eugene, but I couldn't tell you what city it's in. So I'm going to say Oregon and hope that's good enough. The other two, I'm not sure. My guess would be that one's in Borneo because he collects in Borneo quite a bit. I see that on his Instagram. Thank you for starting an Instagram page, Christopher, because (laughs) that's been really helpful. Maybe Malaysia. Ooh, no, it's probably in South America because I don't think he would have two in Southeast Asia. Um, South America, maybe in... Peru, where, you know, he could go into the Amazon to collect is going to be my assumption. Because with insects, you can actually collect, um, so long as they're not endangered or anything, you can, you can usually do an okay job collecting, whereas the other ones are going to be zoo deaths. So my guess would be in, like, um, let's say Indonesia, because that's broader than Borneo, and okay. let's say in Peru or, like, the okay, Amazon. Oregon, yeah, Indonesia, and Peru. That's my guess. Those are the guesses? Yeah. That ends the answering part. <laughs> Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is artist Christopher Marley. Christopher Marley, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Christopher and Carrie embracing. <laughs> Smiles aplenty. Oh my gosh. I'm ex- after all that talk about the crazy lady gagaing of taxidermy. I'm so excited to meet you. Okay. Oh, thank you. I have to text my boyfriend right now to tell him to come up here. I can tell the relationship is going great. He stayed at home rather than come and support your... First of all, let's say hello, Christopher Marley. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, And thank you especially because you do not live in the L.A. area. You came down here just for this. I did. Thank you so much for doing so. I'm a big fan. So exciting. How did you start using animals as art? Uh, I was... uh, uh, 
uh, an animal nerd from, from birth and an artist from birth, and um, ended up in the fashion industry for about 15 years. It took me all over the world, and every chance I got, I was, as soon as we would, we would cut, I was in the jungle looking for reptiles for the most part, and I was phobic of insects. What? So it was really kind of an immersion therapy that, <laughs> that happened a lot in South America, Africa, and, and Southeast Asia. And um, I started kind of looking at insects from a design perspective. I'd studied graphic design and, and just fell in love with beetles in particular. And they became the thing I, kind of my little representation of the different countries in the world that I visited. And I started making things for myself because I didn't ever take a picture anywhere. And I had nothing but a passport to show for all my travels. And uh, in the end, I had a wall full of pieces that uh, everyone so you, wanted. So you, wait, did you, did you cure yourself of your insect phobia? I did. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite over it. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about the process of acquiring these animals. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you reclaim an animal? What is reclamation in, in your work? So um, my father has been a uh, kind of a crazy bird breeder since he was a kid. Um, every home we ever lived in, he would rush right out, you know, in the backyard, or if we had acreage, he would rush out and start building aviaries. And he bred rare color mutations of Australian parrots. And so uh, we always had dead parrots in our freezers. And I just, you know, never, to me it was normal, just whatever, you know, digging past the dead parrots to get to your right ice cream. Right next to the snakes. Exactly. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't have snakes. Hopefully, hopefully you don't mix those up when the time comes. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, it really was only about a decade ago that I, I was uh, talking to my dad and, and just asked him, you know, why do you always have dead birds in your freezer? And he said, well, you know, I just, I don't know what to do with them. They're not garbage. I can't throw them away. And I thought, hmm. I wonder if there's other weirdos out there like this. And so come to find out that really anyone who works in animal husbandry feels the same way. They, you know, if something dies in captivity, they don't know what to do with it. And they, you know, they'll get it necropsied or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's something they don't want to part with. They don't know what to do with. And so I swoop in and... And what is the process that happens from going from a specimen to art? It depends radically on what it is. Uh, if it's a cephalopod, it's totally different than birds. Birds are pretty easy, honestly, because you're not, you have feathers to cover up all your blemishes. But when you're working with something that, uh, that is, uh, you know, skin is the external feature, then yeah. it's going to be much more difficult. So um, octopus and snakes, reptiles, all kinds of things that I work with that are uh, vertebrates require a lot of proprietary Oh, doings. Wow. Are you going to be going on Shark Tank? Because <laughs> I'm sure it's a billion dollar idea to get people not to kidding. preserve sure their animals. So you, I'm assuming you taxidermy these things. I don't taxidermy anything, actually. Taxidermy is, is when you just remove the skin off of an animal and, and lay it over a form. Um, everything I use, I use the entire organism and everything I do. Oh, wow. So you don't, you don't mummify so it somehow or formaldehyde? He's not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you, Alan. We appreciate the... I've had, I've had um, the... Uh, the uh, one of the professors from Notre Dame called me a couple of times and say, hey, "Come on, come on! You got <laughs> with the octopus. You've got to help us." And I'm just like, "Look, you guys have unlimited resources. I have none, and so go wow. figure it out." Did you develop this technique just through trial and error? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's well, incredible. Some very that weird, is... serendipitous little things that have and happened. By the way, I have the a octopus piece that's nine. You do? Different... Yeah, awesome. it's a, yeah, it's one of my favorite. I pieces. love that piece. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it's so good. Am, did I read correctly that you don't do mammals? I don't do mammals, no. You know, to me, a it's big too part... too close to home? Or... Yeah, it really yeah. is, yeah. Oh, yeah? I, I don't want to... Um, I, I mean, my objective is to kind of bring some love to these lesser-known, lesser-appreciated organisms. Of course, birds are not in that category, but... Um, and so um, I, I tend to kind of steer away from those things that, that we're all familiar with and that we feel very cozy about. Mm. We talked a lot about the animals that you have used. Is there, is there an animal that you haven't used that you'd really like to get your hands on? The leafy sea dragon. <laughs> 
So I you have, better bring one back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, Aren't they amazing? They're spectacular. It looks like a seahorse oh. and a kelp. And they're it. huge. You know, yeah. they're, they're huge. No, and, and the, the leafy sea dragon, the weedy sea dragon, I would... Yeah. I would probably not kill a person for one, but oh. I would really you like to. You could go with my... Jake Heath on Yeah, do you want to come scuba diving? I'm going to the airport right all now. All right, let's no? go. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, in addition to department stores and and uh, the galleries that we've talked about already, some major museums are exhibiting your work coming up. Tell us about one of them. They are. So um, I've been working for really the last 20 years in in kind of curating this huge museum exhibit. And so um, we'll be debuting it at the Houston Museum of Natural Science in uh, February, February 6th, I think. And and so it'll be, this one will be an 8,000 square foot solo exhibition. It'll be up for seven months and then and then it goes three weeks later, it'll be in a museum in Portland, and that'll be a 13,000 square foot exhibit. Whoa. And then, so we kind of keep on going, and I'm creating pieces that are just one of a kind. That oh, I think Kara's wow. planning a field trip to Portland. I'm so excited. Kara, no, I want to go, go down to Houston. I want to oh, yeah. see. I've seen some of the really stunning triptychs of the sharks mm-hmm. and things like that. Are the sharks going to be there? They will be there. Oh, yeah. All right, this is fascinating, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. You heard the questions that we asked Kara. We wanted her to tell us the three places in the world that you, Christopher Marley, have a studio. Helen, what was the first answer that Kara gave us? Kara said Oregon. And uh, Mr. Marley? Correct. That is correct, Oregon. (laughs) That's where you came from tonight. Where where in Oregon is your studio? It's in Salem. In Salem, okay. Our north of Eugene. Our north of Eugene. All right, that's one point for Kara. Uh, What was the second answer that Kara gave us, Helen? Kara said Indonesia. You were so close. It's oh, Malaysia. It's Borneo, but it's Malaysia. It's Malaysia, yeah. yeah. You almost said Malaysia. It's Kuala Lumpur, and I've, I've had a studio okay. there for about 15 years. Uh, I've got an incredible staff there. I've had virtually the same staff for this whole the whole time. So. All right, so no point there. And finally, Helen, what was the third answer to the studio location that Kara gave us? Kara said Peru. And Christopher? I've done a lot of collecting in Peru, mm. but actually just opened a, a studio in Beijing. In Beijing? Beijing. Oh, All right, cool. no Very points cool. there. Very cool. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? ChristopherMarley.com. ChristopherMarley.com. Thanks so much for coming down here. It was wonderful to meet you. Christopher Marley, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I told you you should be on this show, Kara. That was so cool. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Freaking out a little. A lot. Awesome. Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that segment. At the end of that round, Kara Santamaria has seven points, and Glenn Weldon has two points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Glenn about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Glenn and Kara will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Welcome, everyone, to the live wrestling spectacular in Los Angeles. So far, the world's most boring wrestling podcast has been destroying the competition. Isn't there anyone who can save us from this travesty? Wait, could it be? It's Titan Fights, the perfect wrestling podcast. Titan Fights is here to save us from the monotony of boring wrestling podcasts with hilarious conversations. Woke trips through the history of wrestling. And joke about the finer points of people wearing spandex. What a match! And the Tights and Fights podcast will be back every week. Thursdays on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Please, these hosts have families. Tights and Fights podcast. Tights and Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Kara Santamaria with seven points and Glenn Weldon with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. 
Glenn Weldon, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about wine tasting, RuPaul's Drag Race, and Catherine O'Hara. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about each. First, you said you know a lot about wine tasting. Yeah, I was a winery tour guide at two different wineries. Uh, the first one was a complete scam. The second one, they actually taught me things. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was a, there were scam wine tours? This was on uh, Long Island, the fine wines of Long Island. <laughs> uh, and it was this kind of prefabricated chateau that was dropped just outside of Southampton. And the dude imported all of his uh, grapes and his juice from California but passed it off as a Long Island wine, no. which is super illegal. We had this amazing expanse of just the <gasps> vineyard stretching to the horizon, but only the first three rows were actually grapevines. What? <laughs> the rest, all the way to the horizon, were potato plants. <laughs> Stop it. So when people would ask, can we just go and wander through the vineyard and yeah. maybe pick a grape or two, we'd, we'd have to say, we just sprayed. So it's not a good idea. Wait, but during harvest time, wouldn't they notice that there were no grapes hanging from... What they would notice is how clean the equipment was. <laughs> Everybody commented on the tour. You also said you know a lot about RuPaul's Drag Race. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, I mean, uh, there are uh, RuPaul super fans out there, and I'm not one of them. I just love the show. I've been watching from the first season, which is why I, can, I consider myself kind of a, a true fan, because there's a lot of people who claim that they're super fans, mm -hmm. but they've only caught up with it in the fourth, fifth season. Mm -hmm. I've been watching since uh, the very first episode on VH1, which was janky. Oh boy, that was, <laughs> that was a different show. And you know, something happened to the show when they moved to uh, wherever they are now, where it's HDTV, and drag queens in HDTV are not necessarily a match made in heaven, <laughs> but they, they are knocking it out of the park. It's such a great show, just filled with such positive, without cheesy energy. Wonderful. And then finally, you said you know a lot about Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not given to hyperbole, but she's probably the best human being we've <laughs> produced as a species. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to fight you on that, yeah, actually. She's pretty great. She is so, so funny. I was a huge fan of SCTV. I've been following her career ever since. There is something about, she can do really big, really broad. Uh, I'm thinking of the scene in Waiting for Gutman where she's playing drunk at the Chinese restaurant. And there is such precision there. It is, it is something that is, it, there's a rigor to her acting, which is just, which is why it's so funny, which is why it has this uncanny ability to just make you laugh, even, even if she's going huge, nothing sloppy about it, all really in control. She's fantastic. I've seen her sing live during a nightmare before Christmas. Oh, yeah. Live at the Hollywood Bowl, and even singing, she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Now for the not a great song. But. <laughs> <laughs> now, for the poor, unfortunate few out there, how would you describe who Catherine O'Hara is to them? Uh, well, she was a staple of SCTV, one of the only two women on the show, which was a hilarious Canadian uh, sketch comedy show. She, you recognize her from Beetlejuice, uh, the dance number she did with the, the Harry Belafonte song. Uh, she was Kevin's mom in, in uh, Home Alone, the Home Alone movies, which is pro probably most people know her. Uh, is she, she currently in Schitt's Creek? She's knocking it out of the park on Schitt's Creek right now as Moira, Moira Schitt. Uh, Schitt's Creek. All right, Glenn, so to sum up, you said you know a lot about wine tasting, RuPaul's Drag Race, and Catherine O'Hara. Today we're going to quiz you about RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, boy. Oh, yes. boy. Uh, okay. Uh, do you prefer, by the way, the regular seasons or the all-star seasons? I prefer the regular seasons, absolutely. Because the, the all-star seasons, when they're good, they're really good. When, they all, when they're bad, mm. <laughs> they are not good. <laughs> all right. And uh, have, you, have you done drag yourself? I have not. Okay. And I don't think it's in the cards. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Have you thought about what your drag name might be? You, you know, the kids used to call me Glenda on the playground, so I figured it's, I'll be just that basic. <laughs> 
Yes, we want to encourage bullying because it leads a creative name. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in RuPaul's Drag Race to test your mastery in this subject with an expert-level question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about the subject, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you also are allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Kara, do listen closely because you can steal if Glenn gets any of them wrong. Kara, by the way, how much do you know about RuPaul's Drag Race? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> all right. What do you think it is? <laughs> A drag race. <laughs> okay, this will be Very good. this will be fun. <laughs> Here we go. Question number one for Glenn Weldon. RuPaul's Drag Race started airing on one network owned by Viacom and later switched to another network owned by Viacom. Name either of these networks. Uh, Logo. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. It started on Logo and then switched to Video Hits One prior to the ninth season. Yep. I couldn't help you out before because I knew that was a question yeah, coming yeah. up, but you started to mention uh, that it was on yeah. VH1. Uh, all right, number two. Which former American Idol finalist and YouTube personality has appeared as a guest judge on the show and choreographed the dazzling performance of Kitty Girl in All Stars 3? Oh, boy. You do uh, have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Let me take the hint. Yeah. Helen, how about that first hint? His first name kind of rhymes with the star of <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Todrick Hall. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Todrick Hall. I didn't Hall. even get... I got two words into the hint yeah, and yeah. you knew it. Uh, no, yes. I just, I, it occurred to me as you were beginning to speak. Uh, yes. That's how like, good of a hint it was, I Helen. I was like, Waste wow, my hint giving is amazing. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, here's question number three. You are two for two. Everybody loves a winner, but some runners-up are also beloved. Which queen was a runner-up on both the second season of RuPaul's Drag Race and the second season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars? The second season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Um, can I get a hint? Helen, how about that second hint? Nevermore. Raven. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Uh. It is Raven. <laughs> Used up those two hints right away. We'll see if you can uh, yeah. clean sweep on the way. <laughs> Glenn, you are three for three. Here's question number four. The prizes for winners of the show have changed and improved over the years. But in season one, contestants won a lifetime supply of what company's cosmetics or how much prize money? I think it was 15000 but it was definitely MAC. MAC Ellen? Cosmetics. That is correct. That is correct. It was MAC. <laughs> the prize money was $20,000. 20, $20,000 with MAC. They've gone on to different cosmetics uh, sponsoring yep. it uh, since then. Your 444, four, here's question number five. As of this taping, in the lip sync battles, contestants have performed songs by RuPaul 14 times. Coming in second place at six times is which recording artist? Okay. This, this I should be able to deduce this, because gay men are predictable. Um, <laughs> also, because you're a person of science, Kara, Kara demonstrated <laughs> that as well. Give us some of that sweet, sweet STEM. I, could it be Selena? It's either Selena or Whitney. I'm going to say Whitney. Whitney Houston. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. I'm sorry, Kara, with a chance to steal. Cher. Helen? That is not correct. Not Cher. No, the correct answer is Britney Spears. Britney Spears Spears, has had her songs (laughs) lip sync to six times. Only four songs. They did two of them twice. Uh, Still, you did very well in that round, Glenn. And here now is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Mm. That grew and then got weird. It is worth three points. As we record this, we are just a few weeks away from the premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 4. But how well do you remember All-Stars 3? For up to three points, who was the winner of All-Stars 3? Who did she beat out in the final lip sync battle? And to what song did she lip sync? Okay, Uh, I am gonna get this wrong because the, there's, there's been a lot of seasons and they blend. Um, 
This would have been the most recent season of All Stars. All Stars Three, but I'm mm -hmm. thinking of I'm, I, I'm thinking of um, song was I'm Every Woman. I'm Every Woman is yeah, the song. It's, okay, it's not. It wasn't, but fine. <laughs> okay, the first runner-up you asked, and then the yes, winner. Yes, the, the, the first runner-up and the winner. Man, I'm going down the flames here. So let's say let's let's say it was peppermint and as the runner-up and let's just say vixen i don't know it doesn't make any sense i'm sorry vixen <laughs> nope so uh, if you just give us an order who won who was the runner-up and what was the song vixen but not uh, peppermint not wrong not wrong and i'm every woman wrong all, all wrong <laughs> but i know it does that make a difference does it a little bit the audience appreciates the confidence that's right it's, ref it's refreshing when someone is confident in their wrongness in yeah, this culture. Yeah, right. All right, Helen has taken note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight, we have an actor, singer-songwriter, and TV host known to fans of RuPaul's Drag Race as drag queen Trixie oh Mattel. <laughs> it's Brian Furkus. Brian Furkus. A warm hug from Brian to Glenn. Uh, Glenn hanging his head in. Yes. Oh you started God. so strong. Uh, did I? Mm, uh. <laughs> Brian, how are you? Nice to see you. Thank you for I'm coming. I'm really good. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, Brian, how did you come up with the character and the name of Trixie Mattel? Well, I was always obsessed with, I wasn't allowed to play with dolls or Polly Pockets or anything. I was obsessed with girl toys. And then when I started doing drag, I was reading books that, like in the 60s. They used to take this little orange, you know, plastic head and paint it to look like a person. And that's when I was like, I want to be a, I don't want to look like a man or a woman. I want to look like a toy. Mm. Mm. And then my stepdad used to call me a Trixie whenever I was acting too, like, emotional or feminine. Mm -hmm. And then I just, used, I took back the night back. Yeah. Reclaim it. Yeah. Reclamation is the theme yeah. maybe for tonight. We'll see. Yeah. That's our reclamation. Yeah. Uh, did you go through different incarnations of, of, of the look for Trixie? I mean, in the beginning, it was like throwing darts. Also, in the beginning, you're doing drag in a way where you're like desperate for money. Mm -hmm. So you're mm -hmm. like, you know, wiggling for bachelorettes on a Tuesday night. <laughs> so, you know, Budget you're, drag. You're pulling out like, like, like these celebrity illusions or like. But then I started, I, there was a point where I was like, I'm just going to do all blonde, all pink all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and where did that eye makeup come from? It's very uh, uh, bold, let us say. Yeah, it, if you guys Google or Instagram, it takes up like half my head. Yeah. <laughs> the other day I saw a picture of myself getting ready and I was like, I should have gone into real estate or something. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this has gotten out of hand. Yeah, it would look good with a gold jacket, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, but like on toys, like if you look at a Barbie, her head's this big and her eyes are huge. Yeah. She would look crazy and that's what I wanted to look like, yeah. crazy. How long does it take you to get into the drag? It's a lot, but like an hour and 15 minutes. Mm. I mean, what? I've been doing it like 10 years. Yeah. So. That's how long this took me. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Women wow. tell me. I look like I barely have makeup on. Like, Women what? tell me they're like, it takes me like that much too. So. <gasps> Seriously? From like the shower, shaving to in full drag, it's like hour and a half. No. Wow. What? I'm Including shower and shave? What? Yeah. And Wait, so, but you're, it's just because you've been doing it for so long that you're I, like, shh, shh, shh. oh, I'm like a sleeper soldier now. Like, I don't even have to think about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I never want to get in drag either. So then I sit down, and I'm like mad. <laughs> but then once I'm in drag, I'm like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> That's great. What was it like being on RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, it was great uh, the last time. But the first, I lost twice before I won. Mm. Mm. So it's more fun to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's less humiliating, you get money, you get a crown, all that. Yeah. yeah. But it's really hard. You know, like if you watch like, I mean, if you watch like Top Model or Project Runway, they're like, here's your one thing you have to do. On Drag Race, they're like, you have to make the dress, mm -hmm. dance and sing in it, you know, go talk about your dead mom, 
And then, you know, there's, drag queens are like Swiss Army knives. You have to do so much stuff. <laughs> The and, uh, quote of the episode. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Wait, do you um, do you wear like intense undergarments? Oh yeah, it's awful. I, I mean, it's full torture. It's steel bone corset, mm. and then padding all the way over my hips and my butt and everything. So you have that crazy, and then it's a stuffed bra, mm -hmm. and then full body like arm makeup, chest makeup. Oh, it's ridiculous. I forget it's about awful. the arm makeup. And then no. the hair, the hair. I wear really big, like four, five, six wigs stacked on each other. <gasps> And then I have a shaved head too, so they have to like sort of um, wrap them onto my head and then the pulling, you get migraines sometimes. Oh. There was a year where I was at RuPaul's Drag Con LA and I had seven wigs on and I got a migraine and threw up. Oh. And then I had to go hug more teenagers. <laughs> wow. Well, that's interesting, because when I was growing up, I never knew any teenagers who, who saw drag queens as role models. That is part of why Drag Race is so cool, because it reaches everybody, because drag used to be like, you'd have to go at 1 a.m. in a gay bar to see drag queens, and now you can just DVR it. Mm -hmm. Or TiVo if you're old school. I actually was told recently by a parent of a middle schooler that there is a huge, like, children's following of... It's crazy. Yeah. I would say at my shows, you know, like the first three, four, five rows are like teen girls. I, I, and I, like really because, young, like middle school age. Yeah, like really young. I think it's because that's the age where for young women, the world is starting to say, this is what a woman looks like mm. and you need to look like that. And I think we are just walking like protests to that sort mm. of. But not only girls, boys as well. Oh, boys too, yeah. 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 But I think with drag with women too, it's like, it's equal parts a celebration of, of femininity and like the frills and the fun of it and equal parts breaks the law of like, you don't also don't have to look like this. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah. Like with Trixie, the waist is so small and the hair is so big. Like if you look at this, and see a woman, it kind of says more about what society's told you they look mm. like. Yeah. Because I look crazy. <laughs> if by crazy you mean fierce and awesome. Yeah, but the best thing about doing a dragon podcast is you don't have to dress up. So you can yeah. just elaborate. I don't know. Our listeners think you're totally decked out. I, mean. yeah. I just want the listeners to know I'm wearing an elaborate gown. Yeah. 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 I wow. look incredible. And I you can't guys believe are all you got up those too. stairs in those, in those five foot heels. That was incredible. And you guys are all in drag. You guys all look so good. Oh, thank you so much. You know. You. I just can't believe like the waist shaping to me is the most intense and that's how you get a man's body to look that hourglassy. I mean, yeah. do you do you think that you've rearranged your internal organs at this point? Well, there's a real thing to that. Like Violet Chachki, she won season 7 of Drag Race. She did corset training so she would live in a corset 23 hours a day. <gasps> oh. So her waist, when she has the corset on, like on television, there's a runway where she her waist was 18 inches. <gasps> and she's a grown man, 25 years old. 18 inches. <laughs> that's Now, neat. I don't do all that. <laughs> And but. apparently you don't need to because you yeah. do so well just to... And you got to pick your battles, too. Like, yeah. some drag gigs, you're like, I'm going to give them the potato sack dress and the panties. <laughs> and like, that's it. Uh, your success from uh, Drag Race has led to a web series, which, which led to your own show. Tell us about the Trixie and Katya show. Yes, we did a web... We did, like, 60 episodes of a web series called... Uh, which I was also going to ask how you pronounce that. I did not want to say it. It was definitely a choice to pick a name that, like, you can't really... I don't even know how it's spelled. <laughs> but at World of Wonder, they were like, you can't call it that. No one's going to know what to look for. And two weeks into it, I was like, really? Because everyone's watching it. <laughs> Wait, say it again? Yeah, it's called... Uh. Mm. <laughs> it's more of a noise and yeah. a feeling and an attitude. Yeah, well, our listeners Whatever. can't see that you. whenever you say that, your hands kind of move down your chest yeah. down to the... Uh, yeah. well, like, goop exists. Right. So, like... <laughs> True, true. We could just call it whatever. Mm, and then we went to, we, we moved to Viceland and we started our show, The Trixie and Katya Show, which is basically that. That's nice. great. Uh, awesome. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight uh, as far as our game goes. Uh, Glenn, it's sorry. okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Oh. It's totally it's not fine. fine. <laughs> it's not fine. We'll see what happens. 
at least he knew he was wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, let's uh, let's get through this I formality. I knew it was bad when he was like, "What's the drag queen's name?" And he's like. Stephanie, like it was uh, just like yes. normal weird name. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked of Glenn. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answers. First, we asked Glenn, who was the winner of All Stars 3? What did Glenn say? Glenn said peppermint. Nope. <laughs> hold, hold, nope. It was me, Trixie Mattel. It was you, Trixie Mattel. <laughs> Next, we asked Glenn, who did Trixie Mattel beat in the final round? Helen, what did Glenn say? Glenn said vixen. Glenn, you want to say nope again? Yeah, nope. nope. Okay, <laughs> and Brian? It's, oh, it's exultantly wrong. Vixen was on season nine of Drag Race, and I was on All Stars, and I beat uh, Kennedy Davenport. Kennedy Davenport, yes. all right, so no points there. And then finally, uh, Helen, we asked Glenn, what was the song that you lip-synced to to win the championship? Helen, what did Glenn say? Glenn said, I'm every woman. And, Brian? That is a good guess. It's a solid guess. That's a good guess. It was Miley Cyrus' Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball, no yeah. points there. I'm sorry, Glenn. <laughs> nice. Same song. It's Same song. Uh, Glenn, is there anything you'd like to ask or apologize to Brian while we have him here? Let's A, apologize. B, how many times, how many takes of the Kitty Girl video did you guys do? Only two. You're kidding. I'm dead serious. It's a, it's if you, a continuous it's, cut. It's like one long take, right? If you want an introduction to Drag Race, go to All Stars 3 and watch the finale. We do a dance production number that is all one take. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Wild. And it's I understand fantastic. it was choreographed by Todrick Hall. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. I, it is that. I will say it's crazy that you remember details of season one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are. Your brain picks and chooses. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all just, uh, Brian, if people want to find out more about you or Trixie Mattel, where can they go? You can find me on every platform at, at Trixie Mattel, except Pokemon Go, because somebody got the name. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly happy that we got you. Yeah. Brian Fergus, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Brian. <laughs> Helen, let's get a score recap as we head into our final round. At the end of that round, Kara Santa Maria has seven points and Glenn Weldon has six points. Oh, we got a close game, well, but now it is time for not... our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Kara. We'll alternate between each guest and keep the discussion to a minimum. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the correct answer is true or false. A friendly handshake before we uh, <laughs> enter this round. I believe that is a first on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here we begin. Kara, eggs are high in protein. True. Correct. Glenn, eggs are high in gluten. Uh, false. Correct. That's right, they're gluten-free. Kara, brown eggs have more calories than white eggs. False. Correct. Glenn, younger eggs are easier to peel. False. Correct. Kara, turkeys lay eggs. True. Correct. Glenn. Okay. <laughs> Glenn, Cal we didn't say they were hard, we just said they were true or false. <laughs> Glenn, California produces more eggs than any other state. True. Incorrect. Kara, Nebraska produces more eggs than any other state. True. Incorrect. Glenn, Iowa produces more eggs than any other state. True. Correct. There we go. <laughs> Kara, Fabergé eggs were made in France. Sounds French. True. Incorrect. No, they were made in Russia. And finally, mm. Glenn, in addition to its Fabergé eggs, there's a Fabergé potato. False. Incorrect. No, that is true. There's actually a Fabergé potato. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Glenn Weldon and Kara Santamaria, as Helen tabulates the final score. Oh, man. Helen, are you ready to reveal the final score in tonight's match? I am. At the end of the game, Kara Santamaria has 10 points, and Glenn Weldon has 9 points. Kara Santamaria, you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Congratulations. Kara, what will you do with your championship? Um, brag. That is the correct answer of what to do with your that's, champion. That's really all you can do. All right, we're going to wrap things up, give everyone on the panel a chance to promote anything. Kara, what do you have going on? Where can people find you? 
You can go to carasantamaria.com, anywhere on social media. My new show, um, Explorer, is on National Geographic now. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, Talk Nerdy, or Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And lastly, two books out right now, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, How to Know What's Really Real in a World Increasingly Full of Fake, and the National Geographic Almanac 2019. She likes facts. She's Kara Santamaria. Glenn Weldon, where can people find you? G.H. Uh, Weldon on Twitter, a, a repository of really dumb dad jokes. And uh, let's see, there's also Pop Culture Happy Hour, of course, on NPR, uh, available uh, through any kind of podcasting platform, and a book uh, that is actually still in print, which beats the second book than the other book, uh, <laughs> it, uh, The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Glenn Weldon, ladies and gentlemen. You lucky, lucky people, Helen Hong is your co-host. You can follow me on all the socials at Funny Helen Hong or at Helen Hong because I recently got verified. Biatches. Oh, yeah, finally. <laughs> or at HelenHong.com. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and me, you can find me on the social media. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at J underscore Keith. On Instagram, I'm at jkeith.net, all spelled out. If you're listening to this uh, the day it drops, we will be opening for Judge John Hodgman here in Los Angeles on January 22nd at the Bootleg Theater. Come out and see us there. You can go to MaximumFun.org for information and tickets. That just leaves me to thank Glenn Weldon, Kara Santamaria, Christopher Marley, Brian Furcus, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple podcast. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Jewel Park did. He, she, or they said, heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji. Thanks, Jewel Park. Thanks, Jewel Park. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Mark Schuster, Spencer Marks, Leora Saul, Mike Avellanos, Dave Bianchi, Lindsay Parker, Hal Miller, and Christine Vallada. I'm Helen Hong. Let's go to Australia. Hey, it's Jay Keith again. Make sure to tune into our next episode with guest Felicia Day. Whenever I needed a smile, I thought about a, a T-Rex <laughs> trying to hug somebody. <laughs> and Max Fun's own Elliot Kalin. My mom at a certain point was like, I'm going to make you kids watch, like, good movies. And we started oh. watching Alfred Hitchcock movies. And so they're tied up with my feelings about my mother, which, considering Alfred Hitchcock's movies, is not, like, that's not a great thing. Like. That and more here on Maximum Fun, January 18th, our next episode. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.